0: Listen! Stop oh, feeling oh, 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 so oh, on, oh, man, oh, what's wrong oh, with you? mindset. Like I had to go to grow. You got challenges that you're going to run across. All right, so welcome to another episode of uh, the Mental Toughness uh, Mindset Show. Uh, We call it Elite Psyche, and uh, we have guests on that in my mind have been successful um, in this uh, thing we call life, as Prince says. I think that's what he says in this this thing we call life. And I believe that anybody that's been successful in this world uh, has to have this mental toughness type thing, because that means you got to go through a lot of things. You got to you got to deal with a lot of ups and downs and things of that sort. And uh, those are the guests that we that we bring on. We interview them and let them just run free. Whatever they want to say, how they want to say it. Uh, you don't have to worry about us beeping you. Uh, not beeping, but bleeping you. <laughs> uh, you can say how you want to say it. So we feel comfortable uh, with the guests that we bring on. Now, uh, tonight I have a special guest that I want to in- introduce to you guys. And let me tell you a little bit about... Uh, this guy. He is a um, powerful trainer. He's a powerful trainer, consultant, author, and motivational speaker. He's the president of the Jimison Group based in Atlanta, Georgia, where the primary focus is to ensure that success becomes your only option. Larry earned a master's degree in entrepreneurial studies from Babson College in Boston, Mass., Prior to this, Larry earned a marketing degree from Tuskegee University, where he graduated with honors, HBCU. He spent over 20 years in corporate America with, 20, with uh, companies such as FedEx, Nevada's, Lucent Technology. He has spoken to thousands in reference to preparing for greatness and achieving their overall success. His clients include the NFL, Centers for Disease, Control, Af- AFLAC, American Federation of School Administrators, Spelman College, Georgia State, and Emory University. Larry is also the author of two books, two books, How to Make It in a World That Wasn't Made for You and How to, how to Make It Guide to Getting Great Jobs in Any Economy. Larry has been featured in motion, motion pictures such as Fighting Temptations and Motives, highlighted in Black Enterprise Magazine, done multiple commercials uh, for the Weather Channel, as well as published in the Atlanta Business Journal for his article, Education Before PlayStation. He has been featured on Fulton County Television, ABC, and Money Matters Radio. When not speaking, traveling on the golf course, Larry can be found spending time with his two daughters or working with one of his companies where he markets luxury bed linens, air fresheners and his latest creation, Weave, Breathe, Hmm. which removes chronic odors from hair, is now featured on Walmart.com. Larry says one of his most defining moments was being honored for his role in the supporting prostate cancer awareness. And you can learn a whole lot about Larry Jemison by going to LarrySpeaks.com. Some of y'all do the www. I think that's Old school, but we'll go with that. LarrySpeaks.com. You can find him there. So without further ado, uh, I want to bring up my man from the green room, Mr. Larry Jemison. There he is. Crowd goes wild.
1: (laughs) Wow. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm fantastic, Dr. Fleming. How are you, sir? Good,
0: man. Good to see you. Hey man, the pleasure's all mine, the pleasure's all mine. So I, I can't see the background. So where are you in this uh, world? Are you all around the country? Are you Atlanta or where are you right now at this point?
1: I'm in Atlanta today. I leave for DC tomorrow. Uh, okay. got, got some work going on out there, some opportunities, but I'm in Atlanta today. I'm in my uh, my home office and wanted okay. to make sure that we were uh, well situated and stabilized so that we could do this, this talk tonight, man. I'm excited to be here
0: with you. Man, I am too. We've talked about this before. Uh, was gonna do a little Facebook Live at one time. And you know, my technical skills and things happened that I couldn't really figure out how to do this. It's, it's, it's sad, but I couldn't figure out how to do the Facebook Live. But I think this might be a little bit better here. It's gonna be out for a while. We're gonna have it on uh, YouTube. And, and look, you know how they say it, hit the like button, uh, hit the all button, subscribe, do all that stuff for Mr. Larry Jimerson here. Make sure that you get all, and also all the notifications Uh that when we, uh with the Lee Psyche, uh, the mental toughness mindset goes, you know, with new shows, you'll actually get that information. So make sure that you do all those things, like, subscribe, and hit the all button, and we're good to go. So, all right, man, let's jump right into it. I got a few things I want to talk to you about. I just gave you uh, this fantastic introduction there, and but but you know some things I might have skipped over that uh, you could be doing now. So um, let's talk about kind of uh, what is your primary profession? What are you doing like every day now uh, with Larry Speaks or just Larry Jimson? You know, uh, it's a great
1: question to start off with. <clears throat> you know, I, I used to tell people, oh, I'm a I'm an author. I'm a motivational speaker or I'm a consultant. And, and thanks again for that wonderful introduction. <clears throat> I don't do that anymore. I um, I introduce myself as a businessman. And what I'm hoping when I say that is that we can increase the span of the dialogue. I, I want to know a little bit more about what you would talk to me about if I didn't say I was a motivational speaker. As soon as I say motivational speaker, people start going down the line. You know, uh, Oh, I know so-and-so. Have you ever spoken for so-and-so? They go down a motivational speaking path. But when I say I'm a businessman, I'm hopefully saying, hey, look, I got a sign on my door that says I'm open for business. And if you have an opportunity uh, in front of you, let's talk about it. Or if I have an opportunity in front of me, let's talk about it. Because that's how we're going to get to that next level. I don't want to get pigeonholed into I'm a motivational speaker. I'm an author. uh, You know, uh, Dr. Fleming, Tony, you might say, hey, listen, I got a hundred million dollar opportunity for a dry cleaning company. Well, guess what? At that point, I'm a dry cleaner. Right. I'm a dry cleaner. I'm, I'm 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 all is, You you had me at hundred million. So uh, I try not to limit myself anymore. I I I broadcast as a businessman. Yes, I do encompass those things. Uh, author, motivational speaker, trainer, consultant. But I only have, I have my own products that I feature now too. So uh, e-commerce is booming, and I, I definitely want to make sure I could take advantage of that and be in that space. So doing a little bit of everything right now. Um, uh, Tony, but but that's that's what it takes to to be successful.
0: Okay. Now, when you were um, walking across the beautiful campus of Tuskegee University, first of all, how did you decide to go there? What made you go to Tuskegee? I can tell you this. You know, I I attended Jackson State University, the Jackson State University, and my goal initially was to go to uh, Clark. I wanted to go to Clark because uh, they had a great, um, well, I'm going to tell you the truth. They had, they had a radio station on campus, and they had this van that had clock on it. So I was like, that's cool, man. I work at the radio station, and I can drive the van, you know, hang out like that. I had never seen a a van or a, a car for a radio station on the campus. But, you know, Jackson State had their own radio station, too, and a nice jazz station. But what, what got me uh, was that I went to a... Uh, Jackson State, my sister was already there. She was a sophomore, and I was in high school, and I went down to visit her for a Jackson State uh, grambling game. I went to the party after. <laughs> yeah. I told my sister, I'm coming here. Said, <laughs> she said, well, why are you changing your mind? I just said, I'm coming here. I said, so a multitude of reasons I cannot explain. <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> as, I was, as I was at the party, you know, I'm...
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> head on the swivel.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure that's not the reason you went to Tuskegee, but let's talk about that. What made you attend uh, Tuskegee University?
1: Well, first salute to you and Jackson State, uh, definitely putting up big numbers, big names, doing big things. So. Honored to be a part of that HBCU legacy, and I uh, hear that you came from Jackson State. Uh, <clears throat> Tuskegee was a was a, a family thing, man. I um, was a basketball player coming out of high school and knew I wanted to play uh, at the college level. And uh, my mother and father and my grandparents, they, they had all attended Tuskegee, they were all graduated from Tuskegee University. And I had a sister just like you uh, a few years before me that was there. And, you know, we talked about some things, and really, I... I you know i got i kind of got tired of the environment i was in uh i really wanted more of that a different world environment if you feel me mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and i and i didn't have that uh my dad's job moved us around he was in sales and he moved us around and so we kind of saw a little bit of everything though we were in some nice neighborhoods it just wasn't that a different world feel if you, if you know what i mean and um You know, when it came down to it, I started weighing my options on which scholarships I had for for basketball and academics and Tuskegee said, look, we want you here. You come play ball for us. And uh, they gave me the uh, the basketball scholarship and um, it, it felt like home as soon as I got there. Yeah, I got there. There were people from a number of schools that I had attended over the years. I knew somebody from Memphis. I knew somebody from Chicago. I knew somebody from Florida. It just felt like home. time I stepped on campus to four years later when I when I graduated, I knew I had made the right decision. So really it was a family uh, family decision based on my lineage. Uh, my, my grandmother and grandfather met at Tuskegee in the 40s. Uh, my, my parents met and graduated there and then my sister. So it, it just made sense and, and and it fit right into uh, my lifestyle.
0: Okay. So when you're on campus, uh, you know, uh, going to class, having a great time, getting ready to graduate. In your mind, did you have a particular thing that you had planned on doing uh, even for the rest of your life? Or did you think, you know, what, what, how did you come up with this career path that you're doing now? How did you, was that, did, were you on campus? Were you thinking, you know, that, you know, once I get out, I'm gonna be a businessman. I'm gonna have these things going on. I'm gonna have that going on. Or were you uh, not a hundred percent sure? What were you thinking?
1: You know, I, I was a clown on campus. You know, I was going to talk about you when you walked across. If, if your jeans wasn't right, if your shoes wasn't right, I was going to talk about you. You know, <laughs> I'm going to just walk across the yard and, and not think that you weren't gonna get, going to get it, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: um, but I was focused on my studies. So I tell people I, I attended 90% of the parties on the yard and through probably 50% of the ones off the yard. You know, <laughs> I, I was one of those guys. So I, I got my party on, but I was one of the guys that I would study before the party, go to the party, come back home, get me two more hours worth of study. And so even though I was a, a jokester and, and a bit of a clown, you know, I was getting my work done and I was finishing on the dean's list year after year and, and, and national honor societies and stuff like that. And by the time I graduated, people were looking at me going, you got honors scores around your neck? I, you know, I, who you pay? Who'd you pay to get that? So they just didn't expect much out of me, but I had a, I had a track. I thought I was going to play professional baseball and, um, you know, studying business in school and talking to the right people, people. When the recruiters came, I started saying stuff like, hey, I'm going to the company that will pay for me to go back to graduate school. Really had no desire to go back to graduate school, but it sounded good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, Lucent Technologies is one of the companies that was interested in me. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a company that's going to send me back to grad school. They saw no problem. Not only that, we'll pay for your clothes. We'll pay for your room and board. We'll we'll, we'll take care of you while you're in grad school. And I'm looking like, what's really going on? I didn't really mean that. But here, these folks were saying, look, we're looking for talented people like yourself. Uh, at least they thought I was. And uh you know, my, 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 my uh, career path kind of started there. I, I took, I started off a career in entrepreneurial finance, uh, working for Lucent Technologies who had spun off from at and And basically they had me doing like revenue uh, analysis. They had me doing some financial reporting, uh, just anything in that finance space to uh, secure that uh, graduate degree and work in their program for four years. Uh, I, I did that, but I knew that was not my career passion. And, uh, you know, reporting to work every day, crunching the numbers. I missed the, the when the Falcons first went to the Super Bowl. I missed the Super Bowl because I had to stay and do book clothes. I knew mm-hmm. then. I said, I don't want a job where I got to be tied to the desk all the time. Um, and like I said, my father was in sales and I watched how he moved. He'd come and he'd go. He'd see his customers, come back home, see his customers, make his own hours. And I said, man, that looks like a path that I would like to go down. So I, I quickly pivoted from uh, finan- finance to and went into a, a sales and marketing role with uh, Novartis Pharmaceuticals, and from there I never looked back. I, I was all about people, products, and services, and I'm still about people, products, and services.
0: Wow, man! As I listen to your story, man, we have so much in common. I'm sitting there laughing because I pretty much was a clown on campus too. We had yeah. this spot, <laughs> we had this spot on what we call the plaza where everybody come through, and boy, you you can get busted right there if you ain't yeah. right. Yeah. Man, and, and he and the same thing my my uh when I graduated actually did in four years, they were like because I was at every party, man. I was at every party, but like you said, I would come home and I would go. I had a little spot in our kitchen. We was renting this, you know, apartment off campus, and I would go back there and I would just study, man. I would just get that stuff out of the way. I didn't miss a party though, and like I said, the fourth year when I they they uh I had a whole story behind it, but this is <laughs> this is your interview tonight, so we'll talk about that some other time. But man, that's great. Um, so when you first left Lucent, uh, I remember when Lucent came came a part of uh, AT and T, uh, and that whole story behind that. Uh, did you go right to Atlanta? Were you someplace else? Or
1: no, I was in New Jersey. I was at the headquarters uh, where Lucent was headquartered. And I worked all over New Jersey, uh, Warren, New Jersey, Somerset, New Jersey, uh, Baskin Ridge, all over, which were old at t sites now turned lucent. And uh, that took some uh, getting adjusted to, you know, you're a good Southern boy moving around and get up, get up to the North. And I remember that first meeting uh, and we had a lot of meetings because the, the first, I say first three to four weeks was really about training. That first meeting, they said, oh, we're going to have breakfast for y'all tomorrow be prepared. So I didn't stop and get any food and didn't break any breakfast, show up to the office and, uh, man, I look and I see everybody digging in this big brown bag and pulling out these round things and spreading cream cheese on them. I'm like, man, what's going on? First, why everybody everybody's hands in the bag? And secondly, <laughs> where, where are the scrambled eggs and the bacon? Like, what's going on here? You said you're going to have a breakfast for me. And I, I went up to the lady, I said, look, I don't eat these. And she said, you don't eat bagels? I said, oh, that's what that is? <laughs> you know, I mean, you coming from the south, man. That just wasn't that wasn't much you did. You were looking for the cook, you i was look looking for a cook, <laughs> man. Pancakes, <laughs> scrap. <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, I quickly learned that uh, that's not the way they did things up there, but that <laughs> next meeting. They did have some bacon and eggs for everybody. And I think the whole crowd, the whole room was just thankful that I spoke up. Like oh, <laughs> so uh, but you know, that was just one of the differences. Um, so I was I was I was living in New Jersey, but the school was in Boston, uh Massachusetts, Babson College, which is the number one school in the country uh, for entrepreneurial studies. My dad
0: went to Harvard, you know, I should go to Harvard. And he actually is the one who basically said you need to go to Babson because they're number one in entrepreneurship.
1: I picked Babson because of its entrepreneurial program. I visited the campus and I met with the people and I was like, this is it. And when I saw the Babson program, I was super excited. It spoke exactly to what I wanted to do.
0: As a matter of fact, I applied early decision. it was the school I wanted to go to. And the people that loved business that were at Dean, we all came to Babson.
1: Uh, you you know the the Falcons owner and and co-founder of Home Depot Arthur Blank is a graduate of Babson College, uh, so when when they sat down in the room and 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 were talking to us about business, this was no longer theory. Uh, this is what was actually in practice. This is what these folks were doing to generate billions of dollars. So we were getting it firsthand from some of the the, the biggest and the brightest uh, professors ever, and that too was a uh, culture shock too, because now you're transforming from book study to actual application. And uh, it was probably a bit over my head at the time. It took me a minute to grasp it. But now that I look back and I and I and I see all the all the training and the learning, man, I, I got uh, pretty much probably a million dollars worth of game virtually
0: free. OK, so what were what, what, being at Babson, did that kind of give you an idea of, uh, man, I need to get me Uh, A few, I mean, I had to get some multiple streams of income because I know you talk about that a lot. Um, Was that after Babson when you just got into this world and I hear just, you know, grinding it out or did you uh, have contacts there, meet people and y'all were talking about that? How did that come about this multiple streams of income?
1: You know, it was difficult, uh, Tony, because there were people there whose family were, were parts of dynasties. I mean, just, just, Wealth beyond wealth, um getting new cars dropped off at the school and just things that, that 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 didn't apply to me. And I would watch them, I would listen to them, and they would talk money, and it would be big money. and I just I just didn't understand it because I didn't have that. i was I was working off a corporate salary, and uh, the monies that I had to to work with was what they were paying me. So uh, I was seeing a lot, hearing a lot, but I wasn't able to execute on it. but I knew, I, too, wanted that type of lifestyle. I wanted to live a bigger lifestyle if I could. So so additional streams of income was something that I'd heard and it was something that was often taught, but you just didn't know how to get there. Um, it wasn't till I'd say a good 10 years later when I said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to do something different. I know what's on my business card but that doesn't pay me outside of my business. You know, if if I have financial analysts on my business card and you're Tony Fleming and you have an opportunity for me, unless you need a financial analyst, you're not gonna bring that opportunity to me. So I I quickly realized, hey man, maybe don't be so proud and so quick to throw out your business card to prove to somebody you have a good job, prove to somebody that you're worthy of a good opportunity. And that's where the multiple streams of income came, but that was probably 10 years later uh, when I started my motivational speaking company and uh, and then start writing my books. And at that point, I realized, wow, I can make money doing other things. You know, I, I still had this corporate check. But look at all these people that are buying these books online or all these people that are supporting me when they come to my uh, my speeches. That's where the multiple streams of income came in. And that and quickly understood and realized that when one thing was down, that other stream could pick it back up, provide a way for you to pay off debt, uh, pay off expenses or maybe uh, you know, take a nice trip or do the, the the multiple streams of income was allowing you to live life in a different way.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, listening to you again, you know, we kind of went down that same path. And, uh, you know, when I think about it, I think about some of the challenges I had with that thought process. I think it was great that I had that thought process and start creating certain streams. But I also realized that Most people don't think that way because, you know, you're natural born. I don't know if you're natural born. I believe you are like a natural born salesperson. You just got that in you. Uh, Everybody doesn't have it. You know, it's amazing now how many people are online and social media now are uh, call themselves, you know, entrepreneurs and they call themselves, you know, it's it's like a, I don't say a fad, but trend now where people are using that term and throwing it out there. but I remember before that, you know, you were in sales and you talked about sales around some of your friends. They kind of thought, "Wait, hold on, this guy—he's kind of slick or somehow. How you gonna? You can't make a living doing that kind of stuff." You know what I'm saying? I, I, right. I, remember, uh, I actually remember when I left AT and T and actually started uh, a business. And my mother almost had a panic attack, man. She said, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? She's Mm -hmm. like, you got a great job at AT AT&T. And, you know, uh, I passed out all your business cards in the neighborhood. And now (laughs) this sales thing or whatever you're doing, you know, and so I know it caught some people um, to what got them to start looking differently. What kind of uh, issues or challenges did you have? when you start talking about motivational speaking or things of that. So I know you probably had people that you were around that didn't have a challenge, but I'm sure you had some that did.
1: Oh, I had all kinds of challenges. Um, You know, when you start a business, it takes money. It takes resources. I didn't have much of that. Uh, Maybe in a lot of people's minds, probably didn't have a lot of expertise either, Uh, but that didn't matter. That wasn't going to stop me from starting my motivational speaking company. I I still remember my brother-in-law asked me, so what are you going to speak about? I said, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, the, the point was, you know, I'd gone to the uh, Secretary of State. I'd, I'd gotten my business license. I'd opened the doors, hung the sign, hey, I'm open for business. And I uh, started speaking anywhere I could for free. Didn't mm-hmm. need any money. I, I was just excited to come out and speak. And after a while, people were like, wow, that was a heck of a message. Would you come to my company? Would you come to my college? Would you come to my son's school, my daughter's school? And uh, I said, yeah, but you know, after a while, uh, I remember that first, that first fee, I I charged a college $250 to allow me to speak at their graduation for 15 minutes. And to me, I was tickled pink. Hey, look, this is my first paid speaking engagement. And I got $250 for something I've been doing for free. I love it. I quickly learned that I was vastly undercharging. Uh, But again, that's what I mean when I say you got to get out there. You got to put yourself in the in, in an uncomfortable situation. And uh, once you get out there, you'll figure it out. You know, it's kind of like sink or swim. You jump off in that water, you better learn how to swim.
0: What do you say to a person that's listening and watching you and say, well, you know, Larry, you, you just got it, I don't have it. Um, I don't know if I should jump out there. You know, I did a video and it was two people that liked it, my mama and me. And so we, nobody else commented on the video. I did another one. I didn't get any response. So, am I that person that needs to to get out there and really try, or uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. What do, what do you say to a person like that who really wants to, but they're already uh, prejudging what's going on just by the little response or no response on social media?
1: Yeah, you know, I tell people <clears throat> work the process, and that's part of the process. Uh, anybody who's great at something most likely didn't start out that way. Uh, you take you take these young men, young women that that play professional sports. You know when they first started, when they were seven and eight years old, they weren't they weren't the superstars that they are now. It, it took work, it took talent, and they had to grow through the levels. You start with the Pee Wee League. Next thing you know, you're going to uh, uh, elementary and middle school, and then from, from elementary middle school, you go to high school. High school, you're going to college, and then on to the pros. It's a process. You have to work the process, and you get better when you take those bumps and bruises without all the people seeing it. It can be really tough if you're in a, a room full of, of people and nobody's uh, pulling for you. No one's clapping for you, and uh, and you bomb, you fail. But it, it, it's easier to recover when you're on a, in a room full of three people or four people, and uh, you take that stage and you, and and you figure it out. You say, well that joke didn't go so well but it's okay. I you know I, only three people heard it. They're not going to go out and, and, and spread the gospel that I was horrible. You keep working the process and every um you know Eminem the rapper he he talks about that. He says nobody remembers when I was in the nightclubs doing five people shows. He says but I did them and now I can sell out arenas. So I I think it's no different for from the process that we must follow. Uh we need to build our confidence. Uh, you're talking about um, the elite psyche, mental toughness mindset. It starts with getting out there, starting a process, failing at it, learning from your mistakes and trying again. And each and every time you get a little better and you add pieces to the recipe, that's going to make it a little bit better. And you do it enough times, you get pretty solid at it. You get build that confidence up. And then when you got that confidence, it's not too many things you can't accomplish.
0: You know, I hope people are listening because what you just went through was mental toughness. You know, you realized that you had to go through that process to get it right. And a lot of people don't want to mentally go through this, well, somebody might have laughed at me or uh, somebody didn't like my stuff and they don't go through it. And the people who win in life, I have to say, I mean, I understand you got to have belief. I understand you got to have – know a a lot of things going for you but i still believe that the main thing is that toughness to keep going through an adversity because for some reason people think that folks who are successful didn't go through challenges it's almost like because you know i mean if you're a social media person you go on instagram you don't see no challenges all you see is the highlights of your success and all this other stuff out here and so people assume that they don't have that and you know for me you know, books that i read uh, have really helped me to understand that everybody goes through this. I always say that uh, the struggle is guaranteed, but success is not. So you're going to have to go through that struggle. Now, whether you become successful or not depends on your mental toughness. And it just, it just oozed out of you just then when you start talking. And a lot of times people don't know Uh, that because you don't talk about your challenges. You don't, I mean, I'm sure if you talk to people they ask you questions like that, you know, everybody, I remember listening to uh, uh, Usher and he talked about when they first got started, his mother and father, they rented a van and they would go through all these little small towns in Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and go to all these little clubs and just do, and they would bomb out, but they would go. They would just get in that van and go, he talks about it to this day that that's what made him was that. And he had people behind him that was pushing him saying, okay, this is just the process, man. You have to, you can't let one club or one little thing stop you. And I hope that these interviews that we're doing and having people like you on that folks can understand that's what this whole thing is about is that you got to keep pushing. You got to keep going because I'm sure uh, give me one of your episodes or one of your, uh uh places that you spoke that really kind of knocked the wind out of you for a minute and then you had to recover
1: you know I went to a place um I'll never forget this and it was it was about 300 people in the room one of the people was a sales director the other was a a vice president and the director right after I finished speaking Right after I finished speaking, you got to remember, I was a young man at this point because I started my business as a young age, too. And uh, the guy said, look, why should we listen to you? What do you have that's going to inspire us to, to become better, to become great? And it was a fair question, but it wasn't one that I was really prepared for at that young stage of my career. And then I didn't want you knocking me down in front of all these people that I just spoke to, Right. So that question was kind of like one of those, hey, I'm going to put you in your place type of deals. And and because he was he had a high level within his own company, people looked up to him. So he was already the big boss in charge. And I said, you know what? And this is like 2007, 2006. My response was, what do I bring to the table? I said, I bring value. I bring value. I bring value in how you can become better, how you can improve. And I said, I'll tell you how. I said, one, your company thought I was good enough to come in and speak to your team. So therefore, somebody believed in, t- believed in me. I said, but then secondly, somebody in this room probably thinks that a six-figure income is uh you know great money and, and that's what they need to live comfortably. I said, I can tell you that for me, that's only 6,662 books sold each year and I'm well over that. And I think what happened was it broke the room down in a way that says this young person has found a way to get it done in a non-conventional way, and he's not looking for the blessings from you, Mr. Sales Director, or you, Mr. Vice President. You might be the king of this castle, but in mine, you're not.
0: Right, so as I leave out of here, I'm good. You know, I'm I, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a story, man. Um, I was young, I was working. Uh, the two corporate jobs I had, one was the Atlanta Journal uh, Constitution newspaper. I sold advertising for the paper. and the other one was a t. But I remember I used to cold market a lot and uh, you know, some days you would cold market and some days you had uh, you would deal with your uh your customer base, you know, and I was fortunate enough, I didn't know at the time that I had one of the best territories uh, in Atlanta. I was just having a great time. and I didn't know that people when they hired me there, that a lot of people were mad because they wanted that, that territory. And I came in as the young you know, rookie and they hired me to handle it. And that was Midtown. I had like the Fox Theater, the Atlanta Symphony. I had um, the uh, High Museum. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the base of accounts that I had. And and I also had some to do with the Braves, but I also had the cold market some days. And so the days that I didn't deal with my base, I cold market. And I tell this story all the time that I used to go downtown, find one of the tallest buildings. And at that time, you know, they have, a, you know, uh, what's the term they use? No, um, no solicitation. No solicitation, right. So I used to play stupid like I didn't know what that meant when the security guard would try to throw me out of the building. But I was sneaking I was solicitation, I'm a businessman, I'm down here, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> so I would go to the top of the building if I could sneak in and work my way down. And I, I remember one day, man, I walked in his office, And it was a nice office. It was about five or six young ladies in there. I was single, and they all looked good. And you know, I was good at mingling. You know, so I would start with the with the uh, gatekeeper, and I worked my way around and talking. And I was working on these ass. And so this brother came in. You know, you could tell he had a little authority, and people were speaking to him. And so I was standing right there, Larry. And he says, uh, he says, uh, sir, why are you here? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm with the Atlanta uh, Constitution, and I'm talking to, uh, and I didn't know that he was the the head guy. I kind of te- I could tell when he said that. Why, why are you here? So before I could finish my statement, he interrupted and said, "You know, you know, can I be honest with you?" I said, "Yes, sir." Now think about all these ladies around it. He says, uh, "Will you get the hell out of my office?" <laughs> 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 oh, Larry, I'm telling you, man. And, and I was thinking at that time, it really, everything was flashing through my head. And I was thinking, man, what am I going to do? Because if I left, if I left the office, which I did, I was out there in the hallway. I mean, I was like, man, I was more worried about the females who saw what he said, you know what I'm saying? It's so, right, right. Uh, uh, so... I'm in the hallway thinking, boy. I go to my car and get on out of here, and something told me that if I did that, my career is over. If I go to my car and leave with that thought on my mind, and you know, just it, it just told me don't do that. And so I started going from door to door to door, and I finally got one person who committed to appointment. And then before I left, I actually got a full page ad for the for the Atlanta Journal. And when I left there, I left on a positive note. I left right. on, you know, and mentally I was, I was better because I would've hung out with my partner. I laughed about that, but I could think, I'm thinking now, man, if I had left that day when he said get the hell out of my office, went straight to my car, I don't know if I'll be talking to you now about this. I don't know what I would be doing, but I believe I would've given up because I've seen people do that in sales when you come back into the office and everybody's gone. Uh, but mentally, that's why I always talk about the mental toughness thing. You think about it now, I, I, to keep going, to go next door thinking somebody else might say it because that was a that was an awful feeling, baby. <laughs> yeah, I bet, yeah. yeah. My office, man, he caught me off guard, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And, uh, but doing that, it just made me feel better. I do I mean, it made me know that I could win if I continued through that. So, you know, kind of talk about that a little bit, because I know that uh, some people it would have just and it probably has ended people's careers with something similar to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you brought in a lot. Um, I mean, you brought in the whole selling process when you talked about uh, no solicitation. Uh, you know, people putting signs on the doors, don't solicit. People putting signs outside their home, no solicitation. You know, if you're a salesperson, you have a job to do. And that's to 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 to, to generate more revenue by selling product. And you can't do it by uh, not solicitating. I mean, you're, you're supposed to sell and that's what you do. So, you know, I found a way to get around that. People would say no solicitation. And I would say, oh, no, 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 I'm not here to solicit anything. But I am here to drop my business card off with you and hopefully exchange one from uh, from your side. Because if I can, you know, help you raise another X amount of dollars or save you this many hours of time, hopefully that will mean something to you. Would, would that mean something to you? If I could save you two hours a week and then, you know, some people might say, well, yeah, I, I could use some extra time back. You start getting them with the little hooks and then winning them over and winning them over. And at the time, you uh, you know, you, you start working that sales process. And at some some point, you may close them. You may get may get the win. So, um you know, you bring up a good point. I think the second part of it is, uh, and I wrote this in my book: never accept no from anyone who doesn't have the authority to give you a yes. A lot of times, you get you get people saying no to you, but they're not they're the wrong people. They don't mm-hmm. even have the right to tell you no.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if I can get to your boss, if I can get to the procurement manager, if I can get to the VP, he or she may tell me, you know what, Larry, shoot, man, you're bringing a lot of value to our team. We need this, so. You can't stop. You can't stop going at it because you might not have gotten to the right person just yet. So you you, you got to work your work your plan. I'm not saying you do it all in one day. You may have to come back every four months, every five months. And what you'll find when you keep coming back is that the players often change. So the guy that threw you out, he may not be there eight, mo- eight months from now. If you keep going back, you keep going back, you realize he's been promoted. He, he now lives in Michigan. And now you're dealing with somebody else. So you just got to keep to it. And again, keep working the process.
0: You know, and it's funny. The story behind that was probably about a week and a half later. uh, They called me from that office and wanted to buy a full page ad. And I said to the lady, I said, don't you remember? That was me that you sure you want. That's the one she said, uh, whatever his name, Mr. Johnson. uh, That's just him. He does that to everybody. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm I'm worried if they laughing at me. But the the ladies in the office know that's just him. You know, so a week later, he didn't even probably remember that he told me to get the hell out of his office. He just said, "Wasn't somebody here trying to you know get us an ad and a, you know let's order that?" Sure, sure. You know, and that could have taken me out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That thought process was, you know, I gotta go, man. Something I don't. It, it, it was God said don't you give up now don't you quit now you got to keep going man so let's talk about these uh what was the biggest challenge to getting multiple streams was it uh cuz sometimes we jump on another stream and the one stream we have is not really doing anything at that point you know a lot of times people and wind up not having any streams you know so what's your biggest challenge you think uh to having or to get that second stream the third stream what was there to uh maybe challenge you?
1: you? You know, um, I would say your 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 salary. You know, I always say the salary is what they pay you to forget about your dreams. You, you know, you, you have to be willing to get out your comfort zone. You know, every two weeks you get you have, I don't know what, two thousand dollars becoming a uh, direct deposited into your account. That's great, but once you've kind of committed to that you pay your cable bill you pay your electric bill your water bill your cell phone bill uh you know whatever you bought yourself a pair of pants a pair of shoes next thing you know you're right up against the cusp of the money that you made and you do this every month after month after month becomes a cycle you want to break that cycle you want to find a way to say hey i know i have two thousand coming in every two weeks but what would happen if i could get an extra thousand coming in per week on top of that that's when you're starting to think about multiple streams of income. And then you got to get out that comfort zone, get out your own way. I don't care what you start, but start it, right? It, it, it could be uh, for those who, who don't have a lot of sales experience, but they want to get something, they might get into a, a multi-level marketing or a network marketing uh, company where they can learn some selling skills and, and learn on somebody else's dime, you know, help them, help them get those skills that they need. Or maybe it's, it becomes it down to the point where, You want to start a little small internet company, right? You get on a app app or a website like Etsy, who will allow you to design and customize your own product and sell it in twos and threes, right? You don't have to have 200 made. You don't have to have 2,000. You can sell two, uh, but learn how to get out there. And once you do that, you experience what it feels like to bring in additional revenue, additional income. And once you do that, then you find a way to scale it up. You start small. Get a little bigger, get a little bigger, get a little bigger. And then when, when you get to the point where you find something that's working, that stream of income will oftentimes fund one of your other streams that's not doing so well because business is up and down, business is up and down. But if you have one over here, it may be generating enough to take care of the other three until one of those can boom. But you got to get out your comfort zone. And once you start it and that money starts to come in, and it could be small amounts, it could be small amounts, but, but, man what is that doing for your your psyche what is that doing for your mental when you realize i can do something that 98 percent of america has been scared to do was that start my own business and generate money
0: from it Mm -hmm. you know um there's a statement i used to make and i don't know where i heard this from but i i know that when i first heard it it was so impactful to me that it really hit me uh and I can't remember who said it, but I've been saying this for years. Uh, what do you think is the biggest challenge? And I'm, I'm, a, and I, I'm just throwing this out because i want to give you the answer that I have. Uh, I just want to hear what you say, right quick. You know, like what would you think the biggest challenge of getting to ten grand a month um, uh, as an entrepreneur or just any anything in life? Now, I would throw that out and I would ask people, and I'm gonna tell you the answer. Uh, the challenge to getting to 10 grand a month is five grand a month. Because when you get to five grand a month, you get comfortable. You can pay your bills, you can, you, you know, maybe go out and have a few drinks. You know, you're not as stressful anymore. It's the same thing of the challenge of getting to 20 grand a month, is 10 grand a month because we get comfortable. You know what I'm saying? It's like we, you know, it's like you really have to have that hustle mindset and that environment that you have to be in. And that belief that you have to have to keep grinding, because, you know, your friends and relatives gonna quickly say, well, how much money do you need? You keep hustling all the time. You're just trying to go after everything. Money, money, money ain't everything. And how do you deal with that challenge as you start? Because, you know, you got multiple streams. You know, I know what people say. I know how people act and stuff. Well, what else you going to sell? You know, what else you got to have? And I know for me, I had to cut loose a lot of those people because I didn't need that coming in my ear. Even though I wasn't gonna stop, but I didn't need it. What do you do when you hear, you know, you looking for another stream? Well, I mean, what do you, you uh, what's the dude on, uh, that used to be on Martin or either Good Times and come in? Lenny, I
1: mean, Lenny. Lenny. Lenny.
0: <laughs> Lenny. My name is Lenny and I have anything you
1: need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you buy from Lindy, you save yourself a
0: good penny. Yeah. So people start looking at it that way. How do you deal with that?
1: You know, for me, I've turned it into a game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have fun with it. It's not work anymore. Um, people say, oh, you always selling something. You always, mm-hmm. yeah, but you know what? I enjoy the process of bringing something in, shining it up, and reselling it back out to somebody for more than what I paid for it or more than I acquired it for. To me, that's just, it's just fun. It's just a good time. And once it gets to that level, I'm not worried about what somebody has to say or a, a naysayer coming in and saying, you always doing this. You always doing that. Yeah. But I'm always eligible to take care of my kids when they ask dad, can you, can, can you help me over here? Can you, can you pay for this? Or dad, let's go on vacation. So it, it's there's rewards to the work and the effort that you put in. And a lot of time it's not so much the financial, um, the monies that actually come in, but what the money allows you to do. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I hear people all the time, you know, like, man, if I had the extra thousand dollars, I would go to Tahiti or I'd go here, or I'd go there. You don't hear me saying that, you know, my, my, my mantra is going to be, I'll have that next week. We can go to Tahiti, he- you can go to Tahiti. You know, that's not going to be a limitation. It's going to be the reward. So I've turned it into a a, a mechanism of fun, uh, almost like a game. And those who are around me, successful people in my circle, we think alike. I I don't really have people in my circle that are now telling me, no, you can't do this or you shouldn't do that. Those folks aren't in my circle. I I tell people there's two sides to every circle, the inside and the outside. You wanna keep the like-minded people on the inside so you can accomplish your goals. And hopefully if if they're smart, they wanna run with you and vice versa. So in that
0: process of going for success, um making money what would you consider happiness in that process how do you how do you look at happiness
1: happiness in that process is uh understanding the process and enjoying the ride understanding the process and enjoying the ride a lot of, you know um will smith was in a movie and it was titled Uh, the pursuit of happiness. And that's a misnomer because in life it really should have been been called the happiness of the pursuit. Mm. You you need to be having fun and enjoying life today. A lot of people wait. They say things like, Oh, I I got a, I got a a new bottle of uncle nearest premium whiskey. I'm going to save this for a special, special occasion. And then that day never comes around. Right No. Go ahead and plan, invite your friends and family over who you want to crack that bottle with and say, hey, we're going to enjoy this nice, fine beverage that we have here because today means something. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And we all know that, but we don't live like that. You know, I, I heard a, I heard a, uh, a a thing on the radio, I guess it was on the radio, where they said, um, if I gave you $20 million today, would that make you happy? And they asked two people and both of them said, yeah, yeah, definitely give it to me. They said, but what if I told you you were going to die tomorrow Would that 20 million be worth the same as much? And they say, no, I I don't need the 20 million. If if I know I'm going to die tomorrow because the time is the resource. That's the most valuable. It's not the dollar amount. The time gives you or affords you the ability to generate the dollars and make the dollars. Um, So happiness to me is the pursuit of it. it. It's it's. It's 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 enjoying the ride today. <clears throat> excuse me, enjoying the ride today, and enjoying the ride tomorrow. And you may not make the million today or tomorrow, but you got to enjoy what comes your way during that time period. And if you do that, and surround yourself with good quality people. I'm talking about people that aren't trying to steal from you, people who have good credit. They're not trying to to utilize you or use you. Um, and these are just some basics. These are people who enjoy being around you and can add just as much to you as you can to them. Those that that that's a that's a, a recipe for happiness. Being around good folks, good people, and having the opportunity to generate a life that's bigger than your own expectations. That's that's what it's about. Now, if you got people pulling on you, taking away from you, uh, uh, um, and it may not even be you. If you, It could be your niece, it could be your nephew that are bringing this negativity to your life. You know, they fighting in school, they shooting at school, they doing... After a while, it affects you. So you have to find a way today to get these things in order so that you can live the life that you want to live.
0: You know, i, I tell you something kind of funny when you mention people not stealing from you. Uh, I had a partner of mine I hadn't talked to in a while either. This was probably about 10, 12 years ago. He had a car wash uh, over off of uh, Fulton Industrial. And he was opening a new one up in Marietta. And so we had been uh, working out in the gym. We walked outside. And his partner, who works for him, you know, he ran the one down off Fulton. And he was setting up the one in Marietta. So he was talking to him on the phone. <laughs> And I never forget this. And the brother said it so smooth. The way he said it. And I just had to just fall out laughing because he, you know, when he got the phone, he looked at me. He's like, man, I'm dead serious. He's like, I'm saying. He said, it's out of my control. But the question was he asked his partner, uh, the guy that was with me on the phone. He said, Now, uh, we're gonna set this one up the same way that we set up the one uh on Fulton. He said, Yeah. He said, so we're going to have the same lines and all this? Yeah. And, and my boy said, "Within a, just smoother, he said, yeah. And you keep stealing the same amount that you steal down there. And we good? <laughs> so like, wow. Wow. No more. Don't take no more. I already know what you're taking down there because I already counted it. I mean, it was. he got the faucet, man. He said, yeah. He said, I can't control it. He took from still. I just got to monitor it because he don't think I knew that but I'd already counted that kind of thing in the budget. I know it's like how Walmart count death and they know a certain amount is gonna be stolen. Yep. And when he said that, man, I was just, I still think about it today, it was hilarious to me. He's like, yeah, you know? And, and my man paused on the other end like, ah, stop. You know, yeah, I know you're stealing, but yeah. you know, you're not doing enough <laughs> to damage me. I know you're taking a few things home to this family. Just keep doing the same amount over there and we good. That's uh, right. But, you know, when you say the environment of the people that you hang around, uh, that is so important uh, when you talked about that, because it gives you the the strength to uh, to do more things and to challenge yourself. And not only the strength, you know, it gives you that, you know, you start hearing more things from people who are trying to or, or doing better makes you want to do better. You know, you know, you know, the old saying, uh, what is it? If you want, you know, you hang around five people that are broke, you're going to be the sixth. You know, if you hang around five people that are wealthy, you're going to be the six, you know, uh, and take that knowledge and run with it. I even remember a book that I read about a waiter. I don't know if you read this book or heard about it, that became successful financially from uh, working in a, um, he was at a private uh, club uh, somewhere in New York, golf club, and he would, as he was taking the orders and, you know, listening in he would go in the back and write down some of the stuff he heard from the the guy sitting at the table cuz that's where the information was and after a while he became successful just taking that information that he gathered in this private club cuz the club was 100 grand a year to join you know to be a part of it and so and, and I tell people all the time the 100 grand is not uh racism it's not trying to keep It's just that they want to keep the same mindset of people. You know, they don't want Bubba in there saying, well, how are you going to do that? You know, if you had a hundred grand to put in nine times out of ten, your thought process is kind of the same as everybody else. And so that environment that you're in, it kind of gives you, you know, information. He took it and became successful in life uh, from that. I don't know if you heard that story, but I know that you probably operate that way from getting, you know, information.
1: I, I do, and and I think that ties back to your uh, your mental toughness. Y- you you have to find a way to be creative to make sure that the opportunities aren't passing you by. Because there's some people don't want you involved, right? It, it, it's 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 it just happens. I, you know, um, HJ Russell used to talk about him being a a black man in uh, Atlanta years ago when black weren't supposed to own property. And this man had to find H.J. had to find a way to turn the little money that he that he'd earned shining shoes into profit so that he could buy property. And he got creative and start using some of his white friends and said, hey, listen, I'm going to pay you a little extra, but I need you to buy this property from me until we can kind of get the, the, the paperwork and the names and everything situated. Creativeness. I mean, he had to get creative to get over this challenge. Um and that 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 was when you talk talking about mental toughness, man. Um people will 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 discriminate you based on you know race. They'll 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 discriminate you based on income, they'll discriminate against you based on you know the way you have your your, your your haircut. I mean they don't care. If if they don't want you there, they will find a way to try to box you out. But mental toughness says you gotta find a way, if that's where you wanna be, you gotta find a way to get in.
0: Mm-hmm. Story from one of my favorite books, uh John H. Johnson book, uh, his autobiography. And you know, people don't really read as much as they used to. Um, uh, I don't know if social media has something to do with that when they cut back on the words, and now we we barely now, you know, typing enough and got to get everything in this little paragraph now. So, but you know, I remember at one point I was book after book after book after book, and John H. Johnson book really paused me for a minute because his story was so deep about how he came i think from mississippi damn near walked to chicago to get there you know because he wanted to start a new life his family you know his mother and, uh, but he started he started a business and people who don't know cuz some of the younger folks might not understand what John H. Johnson started ebony magazine jet magazine and you know a lot of other things that he started one of his stories in there was that there was a building downtown chicago that he wanted to buy And the guy, the white guy wouldn't sell it to him strictly. It was strictly racism. He just would not sell in that building. He wanted to build. And the risk that he had to take goes back to the mental toughness thing was that he had a he had a friend of his who, you know, he assumed was a friend. And he found out later that the guy was really his friend because it was a white guy. And he went to him with that strategy. And the white guy told him, he said, man, you know, uh, let me buy. I'll go down there, buy it, and i sell it back to you. So John H. Johnson gave him the money. No agreement or anything, just, you know, trusted him on it. He went strictly straight to the building where the guy said the building went for sale, bought the building, and turned around and sold it back to John H. Johnson for a dollar or something like that. And they were buddies. They became, you know, good friends and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that mental toughness thing, that, that elite psyche that he had to keep going, uh, when you run out of options, because most people would have just, you know, went to the paper, he's racist, and, you know, I'm just not going to, you know, sometimes you might have to do that, but at that point, he was like, man, you know, I want this building, I have the money, and I shouldn't have to go this route, but I'm going to go this route, you know what I'm saying, and that's what happened to him, so that thing about, you know, just keep fighting, and keep going, and keep, you know, uh, swinging until you get to that point to where I think Les tells a story about how, you know, he says, God says, man, let this guy through because he keep climbing the wall. he hopping the gate. he climbing under the gate. He's doing everything. And, you know, he sees that you're not going to give up. And so you go through it. And that's the whole point of doing, you know, these interviews that I'm doing. I, I've talked to a couple of guys that played in the NFL and that tells you, you know, you know, that's one and a half or one percent that ever get to the league you know let alone you know you think about how many play in high school how many play in college and then yeah you narrow that thing down to seven rounds and then you get a few and then now you're in the nfl that takes not only just physical uh uh confidence you need the men- the mental not physical confidence but physical uh, qualities that you need to win but you also need that mentality and that mental stuff to be tough because, you know, you, you battling against some of the best uh, people in the world. You know, some of the, you know, like when people say all the time, but, you know, you could take Alabama and they can beat one of the NFL team. Mm-hmm. you dealing with the best talent in the world, mentally and physically. That's right. So you're not going to do that. But uh, that made me think about that story of just Going by any means necessary, you know, making this thing work, and um, you know, anybody successful has done that. Uh, this question here, I had a, I had a question that I was talking to a young lady. She's an entrepreneur. She's sharp, and I, I eventually I want to interview her too. And we kind of went back and forth and battling a little bit on this question uh, because she was adamant about success and being an entrepreneur and being a winner. She says that you got to be born with that, with that skill. You can't put it in a person, you know, uh, just can't. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's got to be there. You see it as a, you even see it as a baby growing, growing up. You see some of the things that you're doing. What do you believe about that? You know, as for being an entrepreneur or just having success, are you destined for this thing because of who you are? or can some of those things be added to you? Uh, or is it just, you either a winner as an entrepreneur or you're not?
1: No, I I feel that success is universal. It, 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 anybody who wants it can obtain it, they can have it. They just can't have it right now. It takes work, it takes process and it we're not all starting from the same starting point, right? I think they said Donald Trump started with his father, giving them like a small loan of a hundred million dollars or something like that. Uh, That's not common. And that's not what, but for most folks you come up and you're looking at other people who have, and you may not have, but if you want it, you put a process in place and you work it and you work it and work it. And you'll start to get some small wins. And then as those small wins turn into bigger wins, you'll start to realize, man, I kind of like winning. I like this habit of winning. I'm going to continue along this path. And once you get to that point where winning is an addiction, you won't you won't want to stop until you win. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. So I say anybody can be successful. There's not a, a secret button that says this person when they're born is going to be successful. This person isn't. This person is. This person. Because there are a lot of things in life that can throw anybody off track you know uh unsupportive family uh drugs get get thrown in the mix uh legal issues Without even a person that comes from money can find themselves in a really bad situation so it's not a a button that says yes this person's going to be successful but i think it is what we're talking about here a mental capacity issue a mental toughness thing if you want it you can have it and you will do what it takes to become successful and some people Ignorance is bliss. There are some people that have become so successful simply because they didn't realize they weren't supposed to. They didn't realize, hey, coming from these projects, coming from this public housing development, coming from a broken home, coming from a drug-addicted family, in their minds, they just kept working, working, working until they started asking for things that didn't seem logical and got them. You know, um, we look at a person like Master P. Coming from where Master P came from, he wasn't supposed to be uber successful. This guy I mean, coming from the projects of, of, of uh, New Orleans, he wasn't supposed to do that. But he came out, put out a few records, went out west, got married, started raising a family, kept going, kept going, finally had a meeting with a big record executive and told the people he wanted 85% distribution. He wanted 85% of his own distribution when that was unheard of in the music business. But Master P probably didn't realize I don't need to be asking for that because that's unheard of. So in that capacity, not knowing was probably the best thing that ever happened to him. He said, look, I got all the talent. They're signed to me. I want 85%. I want 85 cents on every dollar. And the record executive said, hey, we'll give it to you. And he became a multi, multi $600 million man because of it. Sometimes not knowing everything or not knowing what you're supposed to ask for, not knowing what the deal is supposed to look like, plays in your favor, too, if you have that fire and desire to go get it.
0: Man, you know the story you mentioned about Trump. Uh, he actually had it in his book, and I read his book, and it was, when I read his book, I read a couple of his books, and this was before, you know, this was when everybody liked Trump, when he was the playboy, and he was, you know, this was before he changed his method of mm-hmm. recruiting people to, to elect him in office. Uh, <clears throat> And we we talk about that one day uh, when I say change his method, um, he knew what he was doing. So, um, but he tells the story. Of the book that I always laughed at. I think in the '70s when he finished college, and he talks about see everybody. He says it just like this. I can't not verbatim, but it was close because I was to talk about this a lot. He said that people thought that I grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth. He said now this is in the '70s. He said, all my dad did when I graduated was give me $500,000 and just say, go on about your life. It's like, like a half a million dollars in the 70s. That's like what, five million now, two or three million now? And he gave me that and said, go on about your life. Like like that was nothing. You know? Like he didn't, man, that's a silver spoon, but that's funny how you it's That's you a silver spoon for me, I tell you. um." When it comes to words, what do you think about words? How do you how do you I always tell people that everything you speak is an affirmation. I think a lot of us think that if we don't have a sheet of paper that says I am the greatest, I am the best, everybody loves me and all that. And people say, "Well, I don't do affirmations." Well, I believe that every word come out of your mouth is an affirmation. And I think a lot of us have created our life from 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade saying I ain't nothing. You know, my dad ain't nothing. You know, I'll never be nothing. I ain't going to try to do this. I ain't gonna... Those are affirmations in my mind. So those words are powerful. What do you think about words and when you speak to people like in your, your speaking events, do you talk about that? Or when you're around your boys and fellas, do y'all talk about that?
1: Without a doubt. I mean, you know, word, words are, like you said, super powerful. And, and, you know, when you're around your house, guess what? Alexa hears what you're saying. If Alexa hears it, guess what? The universe is hearing it, too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I look at people walking around the earth, I see uh, a lot of heartbeats and heartbeats are the energy that that make this world keep turning. You know, without people, the world is really a a basic place. It, It needs our energy. It needs our hearts pumping we're telling the world what we're going to do, what we want to do, what we will see happen. And you start putting out that negativity, guess what? It starts to come back to you. And uh, you know, people start talking about karma. It's real. So, you know, I can take, uh, well, you know what, take a football team. You take a, a losing football program who, you know, has the right coach and that coach comes in and motivates them and fires them up. They'll eventually start winning games. And once their skills kind of match up to their confidence, they'll start winning more games. And it's nothing more than the words that were spoken by somebody who believed in them. And that's why a coach can be, you know, someone who changes uh, a game or someone who changes the rest of your life. It's because of the words that they use and the the words that they choose to use to build you and your, and your people up.
0: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think, Anybody that's listening, uh, please understand that that how powerful words are. And when we say it and keep speaking it, you know, we we create with I am this and we create with I am that. And so you got to watch that. Um, You know, it helps with uh, you seeing, well, it helps not only you seeing yourself, but speaking yourself into the future and doing those things over and over and over. Now, I always ask this question and I like to know uh to any in, any person I'm interviewing. Uh, cuz I remember in the 80s, uh 70s and 80s where you had uh different genre of music. And I liked it all. MTV age, you know what I'm saying? You had that music you had uh, you know, R&B, uh, the jazz, you had all kind of stuff. And I you know, I'm a music guy, so I loved all of it. But like probably middle middle of the 80s or early 80s, you know, uh, Music hip start changing a little bit. Hip hop came in, and you know you start hearing stuff like uh, what was the what was the number one hip hop song that hippity hop? What was that? Uh, Rappers delight. That well, Rappers delight. delight. Yeah, oh, man. Everybody knew every lyric from that. I remember that. Uh, you know, Houdini came out with five minutes of funk, and and you start hearing all these. LL came in with you know with all the songs he came in, with in hip hop started sliding in and it seems like hip-hop just moved everything out of the way almost. I mean, it just pushed a lot of stuff out of the way and this whole country became almost hip-hop or taking uh, you know, lyrics from hip-hop or taking the image that hip-hop put out. What do you think about hip-hop and what do you think it does for um, our race or how it, has it helped, has it hurt? You know, cause it changes. The music has changed, the hip hop has changed now. So how do you feel about that?
1: Sure. You know, uh it, it's a deep topic, uh, one in which it, it pulled a lot of young brown brown and black folks out of poverty. I can say that for hip hop. Uh nothing fuels ambition, creativity, motivation like a dope track. I mean, uh it's fueled a level of entrepreneurship like you can't imagine in, in the urban community. So um yeah, hip hop has been utilized as the fuel to a lot of people's engines. And I think it's a phenomenal thing. In fact, uh, you know, you start talking about MTV and and and, and VH1 and all this. When they allowed hip hop on the scene, it changed not just music culture, but it changed culture. Uh, and that was a powerful thing. What do I mean by that? People used to love a good R&B song, right? They love some good Luther Vandross some good Whitney Houston. However, you don't sell a lot of Cadillac trucks singing love songs. You don't sell a lot of Nike Air Jordans singing love songs. Hip-hop came in and became a marketing message. It became a marketing uh, concept like no one had ever seen before. You know, uh, you get one of these rappers standing on a microphone in front of 20,000 people talking about Pastor Cavassier. The person may not even be a Cavassier drinker, but they want to go and find out what is he talking about. Uh, so that's what happened hip-hop came in and kind of replaced and displaced a lot uh, a lot of other genres because you could use it as a marketing message and generate a lot of money from it so that's a that's the good piece of it the bad side of it is yeah uh we just talked about our words being powerful and if we're putting out or spewing a lot of negative and and, you know let's be let's be be frank hip-hop is really the only genre of music that puts down people the way it does and use some of the terminology that it does. Um, so, we, so yeah, it, it's used to, to fuel creativity, to drive businesses, to drive entrepreneurship, uh, to help people want to be successful, but we got to do a better job of channeling the energy. And that's what I think we don't do. We, we put the words together. We put it out into the atmosphere. Words have power. We're not channeling that energy to where it's going to help our people to be better people uh, to be better, uh, 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 spokespeople, better family members, things of that nature. So hip hop, I think is a two-sided sword, one that has a lot of benefit and one that has a deep downside as well. Um, and to this point, we just haven't found a way to channel that, that energy into, um, uh, making it the, the best that it can be. Now we are seeing some of the artists are starting to change the way they, they drop their messages. You know, Jay-Z, who's one of the senior spokespeople now, uh, You know, I think 12 12 platinum albums, uh, all platinum albums, his lyrics are starting to become a little bit more grown man, a little bit more mature, a little bit more family based, a little bit more about how can I help you understand what credit can do for you in in life uh, as opposed to buying another $60,000 car. So I think some folks are starting to understand that their voice can be used a different way to empower the next generation. Whereas a lot of folks, you know, depending on their background or depending on what influences them, are using the music as something that uh, is a negative and, it, and it's still hurting the community.
0: Do you think some of that was uh, intentional? I know you heard the story of people saying that they got together in 1993. I don't have any facts on that, but, you know, one of the rappers said that and he felt like there was a meeting that started directing negativity in the songs, you know, because it was so powerful, the things that we were hearing before. And then they started kind of changing. Do you think that that was um a concept that was planned and put together uh by allowing us to because at one point you can even curse and now it's like you could you could do that uh on the radio airwaves and now you can say almost anything you want to say because you know it's free speech I think Luke was the one you give credit to for that, uh, and I believe in that also. But, um, but if it's a plan or is it a concept that was put together by the opposition to get us to go the wrong way, then I, I got challenges with that. But I don't know, you know, because you hear people say all the time that they don't have to say that; they can say, I mean. But is it, you know, I heard MC Light say this. This was this was in. The, late 80s and 90s early 90s she said she said you know i gave y'all a great album you know it was uh, speaking about success and helping people and said y'all wouldn't buy it she said but i came out with gotta get a rough net and all this other stuff it sold off the shelf she said so i mean do you think that that stuff has been heavily promoted to make them sell it to make them people buy make us buy it or is it that the world just want to hear that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't, I'm really kind of torn, in, you know, in that because I know the media feeds us a lot of garbage these days from crime and, you know, and all kind of stuff over the airwaves. Uh, but I just, I just really would really hate it. I don't, I mean, I can't say hate, but I, if that concept was put together and it's been directing us and guiding us by the powers to be, I would really, really feel like we need to kind of figure out how to stop that. Or is that just us being who we are?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think the industry that uh, that we're talking about was formulated by individuals who uh, didn't look like us, but found a way to profit off of us. And uh, one thing they understood was that this 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 sex crime violence that it sells, um, and they, they didn't really want to have to figure out another formula. Hey give it to us raw and funky and guess what we're gonna sell out we're gonna sell a lot of a lot of albums and we sell a lot of albums everybody gets paid. that's the name of the game. Nobody was really wanting to um, to experiment say hey look if you come out and say some conscious stuff uh, will that sell? They didn't care. man say what you got to say to your community and let us get these record sales up and I think that's where uh, the formula was was generated and to this day it's worked and it's still working. And then, quite frankly, uh, you know, the media has a formula on what sells and, and, and what makes good story, what makes for good news. Uh, you know, they say, uh, 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 you know, a dog bites man is not news. Man bites dog. Now that's news. So they they got a formula for how they want this to to work, and that they want they want the John Gotti effect. They want the 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 the, the, the drug seller, the drug dealer. Big pimp and uh, diamond rings, flash. And that's why you know you see when these rappers come out, they have the platinum chains and they got the rings. And if they don't have that, you 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 wonder, are they successful? Are they poor? Are they are they renting these cars? What you know, it, it's they're they're creating a persona of us that says, these people are successful, and guess what? You can be successful too. And if you're a thug, if you follow along in these uh, same footprints, you can get you a Lamborghini truck and you can get you this and a nice big car and big house when the facts are, that's not usually the way it happens. A lot of that uh, equipment is rented. A lot of those cars are rented. And, um, you know, that's that's what we're leading our people into. But uh, a lot more people want to hear somebody come out and talk about, you know, slanging keys and making big money versus, you know, setting up a reputable business and maybe making smaller money you know it, it's just it's it's the story that's that sales and we learn from stories that's how that's how they started us off in uh uh you know when we were in kindergarten and and uh nursery school stories 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 that's what they're feeding us more stories and and watch the the, the revenue and the in the income pile up
0: you know this subject man we need to come back to one day and have a, like a little panel where we can talk about this because i believe You know, it's so much in that, you know, uh, it's probably a lot more that you want to say that, you know, that we all need to talk about, because, man. And I don't know how much that's going to help, but at least getting those thoughts out for people, because some people don't even they only think one way. They're not thinking another way. Um, Let me ask you a couple of questions. We're going to wrap it up. The last one is, uh, well, two more uh, and then I got a few mental toughness questions I want to ask you. All right, so besides talent, you know, you already know my answer, and I believe that mental toughness is the every successful person had to have that and some, unless unless it was a family tradition, I mean a family business handed down to you, but you still got to maintain it. But I'm just saying, everybody in my mind that successful have to deal with this. I got to figure out how to make this thing run. I got to go through whether I got to invest money, whether I got to take my last piece of money, as my mother would say, my last piece of change, and <laughs> take that and invest it, you know, don't have anything. Uh, and that's a mental toughness mindset, a thought that I got to win by, you know, like a uh, FedEx owner, when he couldn't pay the bills, he went to the casino. And, hey, roll the dice on getting the money to come back. That was a a mental toughness thing there to go say, I got to, you know, we're going to either win or we're going to lose, one of the two. Besides talent, and let's just say besides me talking about mental toughness, what else do you think a person needs to have success in life?
1: You know, talent is one thing. I think talent is good. If you have it, that's great. But there's a lot of people that are doing very well with limited talent. So talent is, is just a small piece of the equation. It's a, it's a piece, but a small piece. I think even big, bigger than that is the opportunity. And then on top of that, the exposure. If you can generate, you, you can have a, a minimal amount of talent, but you have the right opportunity, and then the exposure that'll kick you into the next next level. You know, I, I watch people that have uh subpar companies, uh, but then when they came out with that uh that that TV show Shark Tank and they were putting these people with some very average products on the shark tank, 40 million viewers. And next thing you know, their, their product is a household name. It was the exposure behind it. And we are really seeing an influx of that from, um, from, from shows like America's got talent, the voice American idol, you know, people with very subpar talent. I mean, even, and I'm not knocking this guy in any way, but Ryan Seacrest, he was one of the first host of, uh, uh, American idol. Now, this guy owns like 50 radio networks across the country, and he's doing New Year's Eve uh, presentations every year on the biggest networks on TV. I would say Ryan at that point had limited talent. You know, young man from Dunwoody, I'm proud of him, representing Georgia. But, uh, but he was able to, to really cascade that into something big, something huge. Uh, but it's the exposure piece of it. We have to find the way to get the exposure, and that's what we're seeing with social media now these young folks coming in with a different mind, they're not worried about how much talent they have. They're trying to build up followers and if they have followers, then they know they can get exposure. And if they can get that exposure, they know that some of these networks and uh, and, uh, apps will pay them for the eyeballs that they get on their videos. So, you know, talent is one thing, but don't lean on it. Don't get down. If you don't have it, find a way to, 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 to get the opportunity and the exposure. You know, there's, there's a whole whole team that surrounds LeBron James that didn't score 38,000 points on the basketball court, but they're getting money, they're getting paid because they found a, 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 a niche where they can help LeBron continue his career. So maybe you're not putting the, the ball in the basket, but you're enabling other opportunities to come and it's providing exposure once you do it.
0: Okay. A few mental toughness questions I want to ask you right quick. And if you were in the elevator... And you had two levels. I mean, you was on the second floor, going to the first floor. And, you know, my answer, and I wanna give your answer. If somebody asks me what is mental toughness from the second to the first, I'm gonna say uh, being uh, uh, uncomfortable. I mean, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. That's one thing. And also, always finding fuel in that tank when it's empty. You always figuring out another way for mental toughness. That's my answer. But, you know, mental toughness. It can be a lot of other broad answers. What would you say a quick answer to when somebody says, man, that dude is mentally tough. What is that?
1: I think you got to find a way to enjoy what you're doing. If you find a way to enjoy what you're doing, one, you'll, you'll, you'll do it well and two, you won't have the desire to quit. So if you can find a way to make it fun, any great athlete will tell you, man, I love whatever it is. I love basketball. I love football. If they love it, It's not as hard to get up and do it every day. It's not as hard to do the workouts because you understand what you're doing. So try to find a way to enjoy what you're doing. Okay. And that could be mentally challenging as well. That could be tough. That's no easy task. But if you can, it makes those tasks easier
0: to maneuver. I always say you can make yourself enjoy anything. Like, you know, when people say, I'm looking for my, my, Purpose. You remember the purpose? You you remember uh, it really got popular when the brother in Atlanta that was in the courtroom grabbed a gun and and what was his name? He took off through the building and... Brian Nichols? Yeah, Brian Nichols. Remember he went over his lady's house, which probably was his girlfriend, but he claimed it wasn't. And when he interviewed her, she said, I was sitting there reading The Purpose Driven Life. And boy, after that, everybody was looking for their purpose. I gotta find my purpose. That I mean, it's amazing that because of how powerful the media is, this lady talking about one book that she read, and everybody instead of looking at Brian Nichols, they looking at I gotta find my purpose and find my purpose. And I always said, You better decide on something and make it your purpose. That's right. Your, you can learn to do anything. You can I remember before I got married, you know, I wouldn't. Big animal fan. I wouldn't. My what? But my, my wife loved animals. She loved dogs and stuff. And I remember uh, a counselor I was talking to said that you gonna love dogs too. And I'm like, so. so after I got married, I realized I kind of love dogs, you know. But at first, I didn't. You know, I learned right. to do that. So you can learn to do almost anything. But back to what you're talking about, sports. How do you feel about? Uh, do you think growing up? as a child playing sports? Cause I noticed a lot of business people also play sports and then maybe it might be the team thing or anything, but do you think that you learned a lot of mental toughness things while you were playing as a kid?
1: You know, I, I think it's probably one of the best things a child could do is play sports um, because they learn, even if they're not at the top level, you're going to learn uh, what it means to, to win. You're going to learn what it means to lose. You're gonna learn what it means to to, to need to make some self improvements, uh, maybe some assessments. You, you may learn that you know you could quit today, but that's not the best thing for you. Um, how to work with teams, and I know a lot of corporate recruiters look for people or individuals that have sports backgrounds because they get so many leadership traits that come out of those. So yeah, I I, I do. I I think that uh, having some type of sports background. Benefits all of us.
0: Mm-hmm. I think corporate America, and I, and I believe Dion talked about that. Coach Prime, when he's at Jackson State, he talked about that. You know, all these corporations when they go to the uh, what do you call it? I remember going down to that particular building when I got ready to graduate to interview. At the career um, fair, or yeah, yeah. He said the career fair needs to be with a lot of these athletes. He said ninety-eight percent of these people are not going to the NFL. But they got leadership skills they want to be a leader i mean they are a leader so you ought to set up a fair to be talking to these guys about going into business because they have that uh they know how to be on a team they know how to create a team they have the leadership with it the mental toughness that comes with it they have everything in place but a lot of times we skip that we don't you notice that and they don't let after well not don't let but A lot of guys that probably should have gone through corporate America and been a leader there was never really interviewed or even talked to um, about that. So what do you so you're saying that you feel like that sports is a way to develop that mental toughness?
1: It is. You know, um, sports is a way. And I think it's it's what we were just talking about, a way to enjoy life, enjoy things. Mm -hmm. For most people, sports are fun. Right now, I don't care what level you are. If you just like being on on a team because my friend's on the team, it's fun. So now you can learn some basic life skills with very minimal risk, right? If you lose the game, it's okay. You come back next Friday, you got another game. Uh, So there's, there's, there's very minimal risk, but you can gain so much. And you start talking about those leadership qualities, those leadership traits, and you can learn from other good people on the team, right? You say, man, Tony can, can dribble down the court with using both hands and he didn't have to look at the ball. Well, guess what? I need to get outside and start using my left and right hand so I can dribble with both hands. Tony just made me better without Tony even knowing I was watching Tony. So there's some things we can pick up from each other on the court. Uh, and it happens every day um, that, that makes us better in life. And learning how to win and learning how to lose. Graciousness. Graciousness. Uh, I, I think it's one of the, the the best things you can learn from from um, from this is, is just kind of how to be, um, how to have sports etiquette, right? You, just because you beat me, I'm not running up on you talking about, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm talking about your mom. I'm doing this. Oh, there's a way to win, there's a way to lose, and there's a way to come back tougher too. So hopefully that's what uh, the young folks and, and even grown folks are getting from, from their interaction in sports
0: last question the last thing i'm gonna wrap it up with man and i think this is a very important question i hope everybody listening in because when it comes to uh life uh i think this answer is so important and i just need to know what you think the goat michael jordan or is it crybaby king brown which one is it the goat michael jordan or crybaby king brown what's your opinion
1: man you want to get in, you want to get in trouble you you answer that question yeah that that's going to upset 95 percent of barbershops around the country
0: <laughs> uh, you know,
1: i have my i have my uh my feelings and, and and i'm slightly biased you know from uh from 90 to 93 uh my family was living in chicago when they when they ran on that first run and that first three-peat so uh, I got to see Mike and, and, and experienced uh, that that uh, that level of, of dominance. Uh, and I think that's the difference. Uh, you can't take anything from LeBron uh, on or off the court. This guy is a giant. And I say that uh, to anybody who asks. uh not only because he broke the record and he's the league's leading scorer and, and second in assists, which is almost like an oxymoron. You're leading the score, but you're also second in assists. So you, you're scoring the ball, but you're also passing the ball. So uh, I can't knock LeBron. I would never knock LeBron. He, he's, uh, I say he is uh, top notch. But if I got to pick a goat, it's got to be MJ. And all the only reason I say that, there's a reason why I say that. When I look at what Michael Jordan did uh, during his NBA career, he executed a level of dominance that says, as long as I'm on the court, you can't win a ring. You can't win a championship, and I don't judge the GOAT by who has the most rings. I, I don't, I, you know, shoot, uh,
0: you know. Bill Russell.
1: Yeah, Bill Russell got the most rings. Yeah. But but Robert Ory, who been on, was on three teams, he yeah. has seven rings. Right, right. So so I don't go by rings, but the dominance that that Michael Brought says, if I'm playing, you can't win. Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, as long as I'm on the court, y'all don't even have a chance. I don't think LeBron brings that to the table. He's a different type of player. Uh, He's gonna find his way to some to some to some championships, some rings, but he's not gonna necessarily dominate and say, "Hey, Steph Curry, if I'm on the court, your team can't win." Uh, uh, you know, Greek Freak, if I'm on the court, you won't win a championship. That was a Michael Jordan mantra. This guy just felt that deeply from 1993. Nobody else wins. I retire mm-hmm. in '94. Uh, come back in '95, '96. I dominate again for the next three years. Mm-hmm. Basically, that level of dominance to me meant people respect LeBron, but they fear Jordan, mm-hmm. and I think that's the difference. So I i have to tip my hat to, to Michael uh, in the number one spot, and, and closely followed by by LeBron James.
0: I mean, Mike had so many things besides his his um, winning spirit and his fight, his mental toughness. I mean, he had his song to be like Mike. If i could be like mike and then not only that i don't think nobody has ever topped that intro when he says and now boy when, when that came on yeah, came on, yeah. you were there at the court you knew that was intimidation just then man that board from north carolina six, six, six. god, god. Yeah. you know yeah. that was uh just that alone, those things there, man, I tell you. Um, but Larry, I appreciate it, man. I, I I enjoyed this and bro, we gonna do this again, you know, cause I plan on keeping this going. So we've we'll come back, you know, some other time and talk about a lot of other topics. I just want to hear a little bit about you today and let the world know uh, about Larry. Is it Larry Speaks? Larry Speaks, yeah, LarrySpeaks.com, yeah. Larry Man, yeah. it's
1: an honor and, a honor and a privilege to be here with you, Tony. Uh, you know, I've always respected you, uh, a man of so many talents and uh, much, you know, a, a, a much success that we talked about on my side. And we, we can say doubly uh, on your side. So, um, you know, it, it, thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully we've changed somebody's life tonight. Cool. And, uh, and, and, uh, they, and And if not, look, they need to reach out to us so we can give them some more hints and tips. Like, look,
0: exactly. Let, yeah, let, yeah, let's let's have fun with it. Let's do it. We're gonna be doing more things together anyway larry so man appreciate your time um i just really do man so we're gonna close it out tonight um uh, so anybody who's watching this we're actually gonna put these out on youtube again like i said make sure you uh hit the like button hit the all all these things because we're gonna have more mental toughness uh elite psyche videos coming out uh and like i said larry's our third person uh at the from the beginning so you imagine the third episode when we get to 100 episodes or 200 episodes he was number three uh and that's special to me so all right man appreciate it we're gonna sign off and um uh, y'all keep looking for the new videos coming out we'll be putting them out soon Thank you. hey man thanks a lot take care respect All right. make sure that you like and subscribe and, and hit the all button and all that kind of stuff because we're going to have a lot of good interviews uh, on this podcast.